0: I have a couple of happy places and you probably do too. Here's a shot of two of them. One of them is at Lake Tahoe and the other one is at Sealy Lake, Montana. These are places that I go to that are just restorative for me. They're peaceful places, they're beautiful. It's a step away from the normal rhythm of my life and the normal pressures. I get to do the stuff that I just wanna do. I don't have to do the stuff that I have to do. It reminds me of the things in life that are important, truly, and the other things that aren't really all that important. It's a different schedule, I have moments of quiet, and I just kind of get reset. I imagine you have places like that too. What what places would you think of when you think of the places that you go to be restored or find peace? Because place is incredibly powerful for us. We'll even say things like, I'm not in a good place. And the importance of place is going to help us understand what Jesus is driving at in the passage that we're gonna look at this morning. So we're in Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 through 30. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. The first three words are at that time. So let's not miss the clues in the text. What is Jesus referring to? Well, it doesn't help that we did things a little out of order to facilitate kickoff Sunday last week, because right before this passage is the woe to you passages that we talked about two weeks ago regarding the towns and the people who knew Jesus, saw what Jesus was doing, and ignored it. They missed the kingdom of God. So that's what Jesus has in mind. And now Jesus is going to contrast the people who wouldn't see what he was doing with the people who do and will see what he's doing. So that's the contrast there. And then he says, you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed these things to the little children. So what are these things? Well, it's the reality of the kingdom of God. It's that Jesus is God among us and that a new thing is going on. It's not just the same old, same old, and because something new is going on, we need to respond to that differently than what we've done in the past. Now, wise and learned are the people of the towns that rejected him. They thought they had it all figured out. They thought they knew what God looked like. They thought they knew what God should be doing. And Jesus didn't look like or do what they thought he should. So they chose to be blind to what God was doing. And that's the thing to be emphasized here. God came among them, they chose to ignore him. It was their choice. But the little children seemed to get it. Now, he's not talking about you know, second graders. Little children is generally a reference to disciples. And it sounds better in Greek than it does in English. It's not pejorative or patronizing there. Basically, he's talking about how they're open to what God is doing. They're, the people who are supposedly wise don't get it, but the people who are like little children, they do. And it reminds me of the passage in 1 Corinthians where Paul writes, Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. So you've got the wise who don't get it and fools or little children who seem to get it. As I read a lot of social media and other things, I'm aware that there is a lot of hatred in the culture towards Christians, or at least a certain type of Christians. And I read things regularly like people who will say, don't impose your iron age book of myths written by people who believe the earth is flat on us. And the implication is you people are not very smart. And honestly, sometimes I have trouble disagreeing with them. But I think it's really smart to say, I don't have all the answers. I can't do it on my own. I need help. I've found a depth of peace and joy and hope and meaning in Jesus. Following Jesus makes sense of my world and the world in a way that I don't find anywhere else. So. Scripturally, and I think in my experience, wisdom is not necessarily found in just collecting knowledge and experiences. Now, I'm not anti-education. I'm very much pro-education. I've wasted a large chunk of my life. But true wisdom is found in knowing and following God. I like what it says in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. So the first thing you have in the text is a contrast between people who are wise in their own eyes and people who have found the real answers to life's questions in following Jesus. You have people who are blind to what God is doing and people who see what God is doing, that he's among them bringing his kingdom here. Jesus goes on in verse 26 and says, "'Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do.'" Now, what it sounds like he's saying is that God came to reveal himself to some people and to be hidden from others. Doesn't God want everyone to be saved? Yes. But what Jesus is talking about here is that God has chosen to put the cookies on the lowest shelf so that everyone can reach them. That's the emphasis. God's pleased to include anyone who wants to come, not just the wise, not just the people with the great resumes, not just the powerful, but even the little children. All you have to do is have an open heart and a willingness to respond in faith and obedience. That's what God is pleased to do. And then Jesus says in verse 27, All things have been committed to me by my father no one knows the son except the father and no one knows the father except the son and those to whom the son chooses to reveal him so the second thing we have in the text is a clarification of exactly who Jesus is this is what Jesus is doing in verse 27 Jesus is revealing God to people if you want to know what God looks like look at Jesus and I think that this is important as we've talked about the options that we have in viewing who Jesus is because we've talked about how a lot of people just want to go, well, he was a good teacher, but that's not an option that Jesus leaves open for us because that's not what Jesus claims for himself. In this passage alone, he talks about if you've seen me, you've seen the father, the father knows me, I know the father. On a practical level for us, I think a lot of things are claimed for Jesus or about Jesus that sure don't sound to me like what Jesus sounds like in the Gospels. And so I think we need to ask ourselves sometimes when we hear about, you know, Jesus is like this, or this is how Jesus feels, or, you know, here's a response uh, uh, from Jesus. Does this really look and feel like Jesus? Is this really an accurate picture of who Jesus is, or who Jesus, what Jesus's priorities would be? Does this really reflect the love and the grace of God that Jesus seems to reflect all of the time in the Gospels? Now, whenever we talk about grace, we always worry about sin, about you know, tolerating different things, but the only people who really seem to irritate Jesus are the hypocrites, People who put unrealistic, unrealistic expectations on others and people who refuse to see what God is doing. Jesus seems to be much more interested in drawing people to him than he is in criticizing people's sins, although it's not unimportant. Then we get to the part that everybody knows in this passage. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light." The third thing that we have in the text is what Jesus has come to do. And that makes sense of why this is here. Otherwise, at least to me, this feels like a non sequitur. It doesn't seem to follow. What's Jesus talking about all of a sudden? We've just been hearing about the kingdom of God coming to people through Jesus, and now we're we're talking about being tired and yokes. But this actually fits right in with what comes beforehand because this is what the kingdom does. This is what happens when we find and follow Jesus. This is what Jesus brings to us. Jesus brings us changed lives and rest. I also think this is the first visceral moment in the text. Come to me, all of you who are weary, who are heavily laden and burdened. This is where we are like, yes. This is describing my life. I identify with this. Some days I feel tired. Some days I feel crushed under the weight of it all. Honestly, I've had one of those weeks. We all do. Don't feel extra special sorry for me because we all have weeks like that. This week I feel like I'm carrying just about everything I can. I'm feeling a little bit weary, feeling a little bit like, okay, looking forward to the end of the week. And a lot of us have a lot of those days. We spend a lot of time feeling weary and burdened and needing rest. I love that God knows that about us. I love that God isn't just a snap out of it kind of God. That God is the kind of God who sits in the midst of the burden with us. And I think it's important that we know that about him. That God isn't sitting up in heaven with a tally sheet keeping track of your mistakes. God is present with you in your struggles. And that's really one of the strongest implications of Jesus coming among us. And I wonder how things would be different in our experiences if people didn't perceive us as keeping track of their sins, but as people who, because of what Jesus has done in our lives, are present with them in the struggle. Jesus sees what we need. We need rest. We need relief from some of the burdens that we carry. And then he gives us this invitation to come to him. God wants us to come to him. That's all grace. And I try to emphasize that every week at the communion table. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done or not done. God just wants you to come to him so he can help. But then there's this separate invitation, take my yoke. This is that come as you are, but don't stay that way kind of thing come to God, but when your eyes are open to see the reality of the kingdom of God, you need to live into that. And now we're right back at the beginning of the passage. So let's take a moment now and let's talk about yokes. Because I'm from Los Angeles and most agricultural metaphors are a stretch for me, so let's figure out what he's talking about. What is a yoke? Well, a yoke is something that generally helps beasts of burdens accomplish a task. It's kind of like this picture. The thing of wood between the two oxen is a yoke. It helps them to work as a team and then they are not only yoked to each other, but they're strapped to a plow or a wagon or something that they're pulling. So the oxen have to plow a field, you put a yoke on them, you attach it to the plow, and then they help each other plow the field. But I want you to notice the language, beasts of burden chained to a plow. It's not really an attractive image when it applies to us. Now you might feel like that some days, but I don't think that's what Jesus is getting at. The emphasis also is not a picture like this where we are wearing that yoke like the oxen do, but Jesus comes alongside and he pulls next to us like he's the companion ox. I don't think that's the picture either. And that would be nice, you know, here's your burden and Jesus is gonna come shoulder it with you. But that mostly would just reduce Jesus to being the divine helper. It doesn't really change your life, he just helps you through the difficult spot. Here's your life, I'm gonna come alongside you and help you pull your load. That's not the Jesus who says, I've come to transform your life, to break the power of the burden that you're carrying, to make things new. I don't think that's the picture of the type of yoke that Jesus is talking about either. It's not Jesus comes to share our yoke. He gives us a new yoke, his yoke. And it's a yoke that looks more like this because sometimes humans have yokes too. The thing with a human yoke, like in this picture, is if you've got a huge burden to carry, like two things of water, like she does, it makes it easier if you put it on a yoke. So the idea is that the new kind of yoke makes life easier, makes it less difficult, is less oppressive, is less burdensome, and I think that's the image that Jesus is getting at. Maybe it feels like you're chained to a plow, Jesus says take my yoke on and I'll release you from the oppression from being subjugated to your sins to your past your addictions I'll release you from the heavy burdens Jesus's yoke won't add to your oppressions or exchange one oppression for another it will give you rest there's this wonderful movie called The Mission and it came back out in 1986 a while ago and if you haven't seen it you need to watch this movie. If you haven't seen it since 1986, you need to go back and you need to watch the movie again. It's a challenging movie in any number of ways. It has an amazing soundtrack. It's worth it just to listen to the music. But one of the key figures is a slave trader. And he kind of has this come to Jesus moment but he's been he's so aware of his past of his brokenness of the evil that he visited on other people that he literally carries his past with him yeah he has this they make this bag this netting of all of his old conquistador armor and as they go to find this uh, mission in a uh, way inside the jungle he literally drags this huge baggage behind him. And you can imagine getting through the jungle is tough anyway and they try and scale a waterfall but imagine having a hundred pounds worth of baggage just behind you. And this poor guy is trying to labor through the jungle and finally it just becomes crazy. They're trying to get up the slippery waterfall trail and he's got this baggage and one of the priests comes behind it with a machete and just cuts the thing off. And it's this wonderful moment of here is redemption. You know, you've been set free from the burden of your past, from the yoke you've been carrying and Mendoza that's his name without missing a beat, turns around and goes and gets his burden and starts to drag it back up again. It is a heavy yoke that he's carrying around, the sins of his past. And sometimes we carry a heavy yoke like that too. It might be our past sins or it might be the the hurt that you bear because of things that were done to you as a child or in a marriage or who knows. Or maybe it's just... The result of present decisions that you're making, like deciding that your career is the most important thing in your life. And everything will take a second place to that. That's a yoke. It's a burden that you will carry if that's where your identity comes from and if that's how you measure success. Jesus wants to free us from all the stuff we've been carrying around because we've been yoked to our past or because we are yoked to the wrong thing. And Jesus' yoke doesn't bring weariness, but rest for our souls. Rest in the very depth of our person because that's what we're searching for. We're all looking for peace. We're all searching for rest. Rest from striving to be accepted. Rest from trying to impress, whether with your competence or how busy you are or how much you suffer. Rest from trying to answer the impenetrable questions of life. Rest from trying to be in control when we are in control of very little. It's why sometimes we go on vacation because it gives us a momentary taste of what our hearts are really looking for. We want rest. Well, how do we get that? How do we get that rest? How do we get the, the lighter yoke of Jesus? Well, first of all, rest is not synonymous with a life of leisure. My two cents is that a life of leisure does nothing but cause trouble. You either get into it yourself or you cause it for others. Rest is also not laziness. That's a whole other topic. Rest is finding fulfillment for the deepest longings of our soul. Finding peace, finding acceptance, finding meaning. St. Augustine said, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. We ultimately find rest when we find Jesus. The yoke is also a sign of obedience. Come to me, but don't stay that way. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me. How do we really take the yoke of Jesus? By faith, we commit ourselves to him. That's step one but there's more. Take my yoke and learn. The word there, learn, mathete, is the same word as disciple. Take my yoke and become my disciple. We talked about discipleship last week. The idea is walk behind me. Watch Jesus do what Jesus does. See his posture. See what moves him. See what he does. See what he cares about. Learn that. Because when we're learning from Jesus, We're learning how to do life, but we're learning how to do life differently. And we have to learn, and we have to put it into practice. Because if we wait until we actually need to be Jesus-y, to respond like Jesus would, we won't. Because it isn't ingrained in us. We learn to take his yoke on us by practicing. So let's look at some practical dimensions. Life sometimes, isn't fair sometimes someone or something is going to happen that will cause you to get mad or not because you have a choice if you make the choice ahead of time so the other day end of a long day we need three things um, to make dinner that night and so i stop at harbor greens on the way home and usually harbor greens is really really great about moving you through pretty quickly But at this time, there were um, those two check stands open and they both had people who were buying a lot. You know, I'm just there to get three things. And so I'm like, okay, I'm gonna have to wait a while. So I get in line and that's fine. And then another person comes and opens up a check stand and she grabs the person closest to her who I have already know this because I'm keeping track in my mind, was actually the last person to get in line. I've already been there. And I'm like wait a second the idea is you take the person who's next even if you have to walk away she didn't do this and I began to think who cares (laughs) I'm at the grocery store eventually I will buy my groceries and I'll get out now the irony is that The person ahead of me took much longer and i was the last person in all three of the lines and the other two checking stands actually just closed down before i ever got through but i was already in my happy place because i decided ahead of time that i will probably be in the slowest line and i will decide that i'm not going to get irritated by this so i made that decision ahead of time One of the things that I told you earlier in the year is that I have been trying to ruthlessly remove hurry from my life. That's been the biggest change ever because I no longer have anywhere near the same anger issues I used to have on the road because I'm not in a hurry. And so that is a decision that I made ahead of time that has very, very practical implications. We begin to take Jesus's yoke when we practice so that when we really need to live into the Jesus way, we already know how it is. We practice living as Jesus would live by watching how Jesus reacts and then reacting like Jesus. That's how we take his yoke on. When we live like Jesus, that's when we find rest for our souls. Now there's a very unique thing about rest in the Bible. Rest in every single instance except this one, is spoken of as a physical location. And it's spoken of as a physical location in this instance too, but also has a shade of meaning about in, in, inside rest. It always talks about rest as a physical location. Rest is a place where there isn't any conflict, where there's no anxiety, and we still use it that way. I'm in a good place, I'm in a bad place. It's still like that. So we're back at the beginning of the sermon. There are certain locations where we are at peace. Tahoe, Mammoth, Ocean Shores, wherever you go, there are certain places where we're at peace. They mean peace and rest to us. Lack of strife. It's a location. Paul talks about this a lot. When Paul talks about being in Christ, it's like it's a geographical location. It's like you've been picked up and moved from your regular life and plopped down in the middle of Christ geographically. It's also what he talks about when, he, when we talk about our citizenship is in heaven. So when the Bible talks about rest, it's like when we follow Jesus, when we take his yoke, it's like we are physically picked up from our life of stress and anxiety and burden and lifted up and plopped into A place of rest into the kingdom of God. Rest is a place. It's to be in Christ. It's to live into the reality of the community that God in Jesus is creating. And are you starting to see how huge a theme this community is in the book of Matthew? And then here's the next implication. By the power of the Holy Spirit we are creating that community here. We make this place a part of the Kingdom of God. We get a taste of the Kingdom of God as we choose to live into it. So I look at our church and we are in so many ways, the leadership team discussed this last, uh, last Tuesday, we are a healthy organization. We are a missional organization because we focused on the right things. And it hasn't always been so. I can remember having seeing meetings that would continue in the parking lot. I can remember Sunday mornings where groups of people were all talking about different things and there was a lot of division. We got to be healthy. We got to be missional because we focused on the most important thing because we approach things with humility. There is a possibility. I don't have all the information or I might be wrong, sincere, but wrong. And we acknowledge that we're not saved by a point of doctrine, we're saved by a relationship with Jesus. We remember that some things that we hold near and dear are not really the main thing, they're just the way we like things done. Now we can, con- we can choose to continue to do this, or we can divide into Republicans and Democrats, or over our interpretation of the scripture, are over what exactly it means to be pro-life and instead of being a community of grace obediently carrying the easy yoke of Jesus we can exchange it for a heavier one and that's actually the passage for next week this idea of finding rest for our souls actually comes from Jeremiah chapter 616 this is what the Lord says stand at the crossroads and look Ask for the ancient past. Ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. But you said we will not walk in it. It's that last line that's haunting. If we walk the Jesus way, we'll find rest for our souls. But are we tempted to say or have we said we won't walk in it? or to go back to the the mission, Mendoza, will you let go of that burden or will you keep going back for it? So let me ask you three questions. What do you need rest from? Number two, what is one thing you can do this week to step into the rest that Jesus wants to give you? And number three, how are you helping to bring about the kingdom of God in your sphere of influence? Hi, thanks for watching. The people of Harbor Covenant Church really want you to know the love that God has for you, wanna grow with you in faith, and wanna serve alongside you, not only to help others do the same, but also to make our families and our communities better. If that sounds like something that you can get on board with, then like, follow, and drop us a comment in the video. Watch some more videos on our channel or come visit us on Sunday. You can find out more about Harbor Covenant Church at harborcov.church.